create podcasts. The dramatization of complex ideas as a sound image on an audio platform. Why complex ideas? I became fascinated with ideas at a very young age. The more complex, the better. I'd pull them apart, looking for the absolute point where its singularity conceptually was laid bare, naked and exposed. I would liken the journey to travelling back through space to the beginning of time. What assumptions is the idea we so readily take for granted relying on? Assumptions which could ultimately be spurious. Silent viruses that hack ideas and overwhelm meaning. A seductive mechanism of persuasion working against the idea. Or perhaps I think, if I pull the idea apart, I'd find some unexplored gem hidden in the fabric of the idea, designed to distort meaning and influence outcomes refracting light, or more particularly sound. Deconstructing ideas enables us to examine their inner workings, what shapes a complex idea we take for granted each day and use without question over and over again. Words. Words. Others wrap around an idea in order to communicate it. Words used to create and often control very particular meaning of an idea in our minds. An interesting thought. Something will catch my eye as I wander through my day. It might be buried in the rhetoric of others, but like any unexamined gem, its enigmatic brilliance is intoxicating, creating a mesmerising intellectual black hole you can't resist peering into. Words are windows into ideas. As you step into a word, it opens up a world of possibilities. Like looking through an illuminated window from the dark of the night. The stronger the word, the brighter the light, attracting you like a moth to a flame. Some words are designed and used to confuse our navigational systems. We become spellbound by the anticipation what is the fabric of the idea hiding? What is the word being used to provide us with access to the idea, seducing us to believe? What role is the word playing in creating our relationship with the idea? From a very young age, I was often found trying to persuade a teacher, or more specifically Miss Pettit, the principal of my primary school, to allow me to create a live performance of what I thought at that tender age was a complex idea others in the school might be interested in. My work even then was collaborative with others involved in the content. I was very young when I first showed a proclivity for this expression or creative practice. Jumping forward many years, I have, with the help of much work, determination and frequent challenges, honed my focus. I was too young in primary school to understand precisely what it was that captured my imagination. I do now. And in all honesty, whilst the expression may have been refined, my interest remains as it was then, when I was very young. What will I find when I pull it apart? What will I find when I confront original ideas? 
What will I find when I challenge our understanding of their meaning? I want to strip back the fundamental idea to a rudimentary principle, a minimum conceptual functionality with no embellishments. When I reach that place beyond which the idea has no form or meaning, I retreat ever so slightly. Why the oral? My creative practice is now expressed on a digital audio platform as a dramatisation of complex ideas. I found the visual or physicality of a live performance, both in creating them and in viewing them as a final product, and I did many before arriving at this juncture, distracting. My ears would be competing with my eyes for headspace and interpretive attention. I couldn't reconcile in my head the oral with the visual. As Walter J. Ong in Orality and Literacy, 1982, suggested, the primacy of literacy, or the visual, can be powerful and all-consuming. We become intoxicated by the visual. Ironically, my interest in the oral expression of complex ideas lies in the image of the idea created in your mind and how this impression can be curated by others. The image which forms in your mind of what you've heard when complex ideas are communicated to you orally can be shaped to achieve a particular outcome with words. Words are what form these images they are the link between the complex idea and the meaning you attribute to the idea in your head when it is communicated to you orally. The image you attach to the complex idea you hear. If you hear a blood-curdling scream in the dark of the night along an isolated path leading deep into the bush, an image begins to form in your mind of what that scream portrays in all its vivid drama. Walter J. Ong wrote extensively on the primacy of the oral pre-literacy, his argument being that before literacy, orality required a quality that enabled remarkability. Unlike literacy, an image from the oral has no form. It's not tangible. Oral expression has no life beyond the sound of the expression. Unlike literacy, where you can simply reread the same explanation of a complex idea again and again and again until the meaning becomes clear, the relationship between the oral and the idea is immediate, transient. It has to be captivating because the sound of the oral will disappear as it becomes sound. And that's what I like about the expression of complex ideas orally. An image from the oral has no form. It's not tangible. The idea has no life beyond the sound of the idea. As Hamlet said to Horatio, my father, methinks I see my father. What remains long after the death of the sound of the oral is the image of the complex idea formed in your mind. 
Any residual from the oral is a sound image in your mind of the blood-curdling scream which lives with you forever. That's the complex idea you share with others when you retell the story. Yes, but why the oral? Why? Because communicating complex ideas orally demands more from us than the visual. Samuel Taylor Coleridge introduced me to the idea of communicating complex ideas orally in his 1793 poem, Kisses. The first line of a poem Coleridge wrote as an ode to love for his fiancée Sarah Fricker says instructionally, Cupid, if storing legends tell aright, once framed a rich elixir of delight. If you get the story right in the telling, you have an intoxicating brew. Speaks volumes for how we should be storing complex ideas to ensure they're remarkable or framed for our audience. Ironically, Coleridge's Cupid, the very person he charged with the task of mixing the love potion or compound, was an eyeless chemist. The eyeless chemist heard the process rise. The steamy chalice bubbled up in size. Sweet sounds transpired as when the enamoured dove paused the soft murmuring of responsive love. Not sight, but sound. Heard, sighs, murmurings. What you hear when... And, of course, a chalice, a vessel from which the brew or potion is shared orally. Storing, an archaic term, describes a process, a way of translating complex ideas into an oral form, a way of mixing a powerful potion. Storing complex thoughts and ideas for the oral is a very particular skill. An intimate knowledge of a topic is not sufficient when curating your own work. As a curator curates an exhibition... Storing is about selecting and arranging ideas to achieve a particular outcome or meaning in an oral form. What you say about what you know, why and how you say it. The words you use for the ideas you want to communicate create the compound or elixir. If I may be indulged, it's worth going back to the remainder of Coleridge's poem to see how expertly the eyeless chemist, or curator, selected his ingredients. A chalice all of kindled flames he fixed, and in it nectar and ambrosia mixed. With these the magic dews which evening brings, brushed from the Adalian star by fairy wings. Each tender pledge of sacred faith he joined, each gentler pleasure of the unspotted mind. Daydreams, whose tints with sportive brightness glow, and hope, the blameless parasite of woe. Each ingredient joined to create the desired outcome. The oral form creates a very particular construct of meaning, as distinct from a text written to be read. In the oral, an extra dimension of meaning is captured. It's at the moment of expression that sense or meaning is made of what we say. As Coleridge alluded to, 
where the oral determines the particularity of the form, is poem, storing is the form, the chemist's brew. When you choose to communicate ideas orally, storing is the form in which they must be communicated or expressed. Why a collaboration? Collaborations are a marriage of minds, a necessary bringing together of different perspectives to challenge the ideas so the work will resonate or re-sound. Coleridge collaborated with an eyeless chemist to create his message of love. I collaborate with the owner of the thoughts and ideas to create a sound image. Each piece of work I undertake must, by its nature, be a collaboration with someone who has something to say and a need or willingness to say it publicly. Someone who is keen to change the way we think about a particular topic, is willing to challenge boundaries and is light on their feet intellectually. The idea and the owner of that idea are the material I use to create the work. Of the many pieces I've created collaboratively, live and digital, some stand out more than others in my mind as remarkable. Our Manifest Galaxy was a piece I created with René Hwajek, an observational astrophysicist at the University of Toronto and social innovator Malani Goodchild about colonising space. I created Happy Families, the conversations we're not having about adoption, with Sarah Fillimore, a family law barrister in Bristol, UK, on forced adoption and the implications for both the children and families involved, biological and adoptive. Today, there are no relinquished babies. I'm particularly attached to Dear Jane. You have been a kind friend an amazing collaboration with William, an ex-detainee of indefinite detention. William and I decided to shape the work as a moving letter to William's support worker. It explored the different aspects of constraint William experienced, first in Sierra Leone during the period of former Liberian President Charles Taylor's involvement in the country, and subsequently in the UK as a victim of indefinite detention. Interestingly, William was similarly traumatised by the treatment of detention in both countries, one a third world and one a first world. And of course, one of our own, the piece I worked on with Sandra Brown OBE, a Scottish children's rights campaigner and the daughter of a convicted pedophile. Together, we created a powerful expression of a child's pain while standing silently in the shadows. I studied philosophy at the University of Sydney and the University of New South Wales. I created my first live oral performance in 2000 titled China, Another Point of View, and moved to England in 2001. My work, initially live, is now digital. Walter J. Ong said, As sound has no life beyond sound itself, orality is transient and immediate. Sound disappears as it is becoming sound. All that remains is a sound image in your head 
of what you thought you heard. Why a podcast? My role as the artist is to orchestrate the what you thought you heard. My choice of an audio platform, when you have something to say that should be heard, a podcast or digital oral performance, is the new stage or exhibition space. My work has been informed by many, including but not limited to, Walter J. Ong, Samuel Taylor Coleridge, William Shakespeare, and Miss Pettit, who believed me when I precociously said, I can do this. I'm always looking for interesting ideas on which to base a piece of work. I can be reached on mail at pamelaneal.co.uk.